today on CityCast Denver. Denver's coolest pastor welcomes you into her confessional. I, I am interested in, hey, tell me what harm you caused, right? Like, how did this hurt people? What kind of amends are you making? Nadia Boltzweber is back with a new season of her podcast, The Confessional, a show that's trying to move past this idea of cancel culture and toward a different way of communicating. Like, tell me something that if that was the only thing I knew about you and you were reduced to just that, I might think this person's irredeemable. Today is Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's take a look at the news. Denver continues to stay cool with highs in the mid-50s and a chance of clouds and rain. The CDC eased mask guidelines this week and says fully vaccinated Americans don't need to cover their faces outside anymore unless they are in large crowds of strangers. So go ahead and walk, run, hike, or bike outside without a mask starting now. Attention stoners, all 420-themed license plates have been claimed. At a recent auction, plates like Is It 420, Bong, and Green sold for thousands of dollars. If you were too high to put in a bid for your favorite plate, don't fret. There will be another 420 sale in 2022. Almost a decade ago, I was writing for Westward, and I got this assignment to cover an event called The Blessing of the Bicycles. It was this strange thing where a local church invited their congregation and the wider bicycle community to bring their bikes to church and receive a blessing. But it wasn't any old church. It was the House for All Sinners and Saints, a place its then-pastor Nadia Boltzweber described as really Jesus-y while being socially progressive. Nadia has never been your average preacher. First of all, she's a woman. Second, she's tattooed. And third of all, she talks like a real person. I may need to put my dog in her crate because she's very interested in what's happening right now. So hold on one sec. Well, you could say hi first. Oh my gosh! In the nine years since our first conversation, Nadia has moved on from running House for All Sinners and Saints, has published three New York Times bestselling books, and most recently launched a podcast called The Confessional. Like her non-traditional teaching style and all-welcoming demeanor as a clergy person with a sailor's mouth, the show is accessible to anyone, whether you consider yourself Jesus-y or not. First off, I, I did a marathon of listening to like six episodes of your podcast last night. Um, it's one it's wonderful. It's it's very engrossing um, to listen to people talk about shame. And for listeners who might not be familiar, can you explain what the podcast is about? Yeah, we call it a car wash for your shame and secrets. And so the structure of the podcast is that people come on and they confess something that they are ashamed of or that something they did, they describe, they do it, they tell me a story about a moment that they hurt somebody or they made a huge mistake. And I make the commitment to listening to their whole story with compassion and um, and to be and curiosity. So to sort of go, okay, so you did this horrible thing. What story were you telling yourself at that time that led you to believe it was good? Or what other factors, societal or familial or mental health or addiction played into that? And then like, who are you now? How has that 
that moment created the person you are now? What did you learn from it? How did you make amends? Things like that. So, you know, so often those are worst moments. We don't want to talk about them, but they can be the origin story for who we became in a really powerful way. Yeah, that's the thing that really struck me was that you can convince people to talk because we'll talk about embarrassing moments or things we weren't happy we did. But shame is such a powerful tool that is used to exclude us and cast us from social spaces. And, um, And I think it ultimately keeps us from intimate connection with people. Particularly, I think about shame a lot and used as a weapon on social media. Yeah. And I wonder if you've done any work approaching online discussions about shame. I mean, I think carving out this little space, audio space in the podcast world where um, compassion and curiosity and this is about as countercultural as you can get to what people call cancel culture. Like to say, actually, um, like tell me something that if that was the only thing I knew about you and I knew it in a, in 160 characters on a tweet and you were reduced to just that, I might think this person's irredeemable. Like this person should not be allowed to have anything good in their life. Right. That's the moment. We're right. In. So um, I, I am interested in, Hey, tell me what harm you caused. Right. Like how did this hurt people? What kind of amends are you making? I'm, I'm very interested in that part of the conversation too. And because of the way social media is structured, it does not allow somebody's story to breathe in any way. Yeah, or be it sort of takes the human part out of it sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we would actually discuss something versus just seeing one statement and just writing somebody off. Correct. Immediately. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I, I'm glad that people are more accountable for things now than they have been before. You know, for generations, people got away with a lot and people who were marginalized never had a voice. And so I'm, I'm glad that the needle is moving in a particular direction. I don't want to lose my soul in the, that momentum, you know. Can you talk about the episode you did with Joshua Harris? If all that happened in a year and a half of me creating this podcast was that interview and the effect of that interview, it would have been enough. Joshua Harris uh, is the author of a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which he wrote in 1997 when he was 21 years old. And it was a very seminal piece of work. I mean, it sold over a million copies, but it it was a very foundational book for what is called evangelical purity culture. So this idea that, uh, you know, you shouldn't have sex until you're married, that only heterosexual relationships are pleasing to God, that this book sort of upped the ante and said to young people who wanted to be considered good in the environment they were raised in, to say that, well, you shouldn't even kiss somebody or go on dates before you're married. We should reintroduce courtship, you know, all of these ideas. And I mean, it was so extreme and and people want to know what does it take to be good? I mean, it's the same instinct that we see with people piling on, canceling people on social media. What does it take to be seen as good, to think of myself as good? This is, um, this is one of the instincts in the human being that on the surface looks like it's noble, but in practice can be twisted to be actually really harmful. So the interesting thing about Joshua Harris is one, he unpublished the book, like 
his marriage fell apart, his career fell apart. He, he was made to rethink all those ideas and he doesn't believe in them anymore and he unpublished the book. The other interesting thing about him ha having him as a guest on my podcast is it's the first time I had a guest who the thing they were confessing to affected me personally. Now, I'm too old for it to, for, to have been a young person when the book came out. However, my last book was called Shameless, a Sexual Reformation. And I spent a year and a half interviewing my parishioners saying, what message did you receive from the church about sex and the body and gender? How did that message affect you? How have you navigated your adult life going forward? And I metabolized these pastoral conversations for a year and a half where people were referencing his book and the harm it did them. I would just want to say that I know that this is coming too late. Um, I know that an apology now from me doesn't fix anything. And I understand that a book like that, when it's handed to you by a pastor or your parents, or just you read it yourself and it's quoting the Bible, it it takes on so much authority in your life. Mm. And I'm I'm really deeply sorry. If you go and look, let's say on my Instagram, there's hundreds of comments from people going, I wanted to hate him. And I listened to this and I just started weeping instead. Like the compassion that it, like it allowed for the listeners to go. He also was a victim of the thing that he was perpetrating and uh, to have compassion for that and to have some healing in hearing him rethink his own ideas. So um, people were like, I wanted to hate this conversation. And instead, I found it really healing. Yeah, you got I mean, you got him to come into a space and say, not only was he wrong, but I understand how deeply I hurt people. Totally. And that's something that we we don't often do. We want to judge somebody based on one thing we know about them and to reduce them to one thing we know about them. What I did not know about Josh Harris is that he was raised in like a Christian influencer family. He was trotted. They had a family brand for Christian homeschooling. And so they had to keep that brand as robust as they possibly could and as relevant to their audience as they possibly could. He was trotted out on stage when he was a kid to talk about how great Christian homeschooling is. I I'm unclear what the level of consent is for a child mm. to be brought out on stage to give that kind of message. And so that was his whole life. He was he was put out in front of people to do that. And he was 21 when he wrote that book, you know, like it just made me go, Oh baby, you know, and, and he struggles too to have, to have sort of sexual flourishing in his own life, to be free from the shame of the teachings that he propelled into the world. You have these conversations in such a thoughtful way. And I wonder what you'd say to someone who wants to emulate or have conversations and meaningful connections like this, like how can we do this in our own lives? Oh, I love that question. I think it's that we have to do a lot of our own internal work around our reactions to people so that if I'm having a reaction to someone, I need to be able to do the the sort of grown-up work to go, what's that about? Is that about a fear that I've had my whole life? Is that about the fact that they represent something more fully that is a little bit in me that I don't like? You know, if I don't like it in myself, I'm not going to like it in someone else. 
how much how much emotional scapegoating do we participate in? And what I mean by that is that it feels like our drug of choice right now is knowing who we're better than. And so one of the ways that that is a mechanism right now is that if I can identify somebody who's worse at something that I'm a little bit bad at, I get to then take all of that icky feeling I have within myself about the fact that maybe I have a tiny bit of xenophobia, let's say, and that doesn't feel good. I have to do something with it. So luckily, I could find somebody like, um, I don't know, uh, Trump supporters and go, oh, how dare they be xenophobic? And now I get to take that little bit of icky stuff, put it on them, and we get to collectively cast them out of the village. And, um, and then that provides social cohesion for all of the people who agree they're the real problem. And then we also uh, feel like our, our collective anxiety is reduced by doing this. And there's a theological term for it, it's scapegoating, and we do it in a million ways. And so, so many of my judgments of other people you know, I just feel like, you know, like the call is coming from inside the house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, I think, in part about meeting people where they are without judgment and just trying to listen. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it, it, it it's not. I've heard from a couple of guests throughout listening to your podcast that you're the first person or you're, this is the first time that they've ever told this story, their particular story of shame publicly. Like Maria Inahosa from NPR. And she was on your show to talk about a story where she unintentionally outed an undocumented immigrant on national television. And she told you she had never told that story before. Uh, how do you prepare for a conversation with someone who's going to tell you something they've never told anybody else? Girl, I did not know that she had never told that story. I was sitting there going, what? Like she tells the whole thing. And she was like, and CNN said, I shouldn't talk about it. And I go, and so what did you do? She goes, I didn't talk about it till now. And I'm like, what? So there's no preparing because I didn't know, you know? Yeah. So that was that was one of my favorite moments, I think. I loved that conversation with, with Maria. I, she, I, I love how dropped in emotionally she got to the feeling of remorse that she had. It was it was it was re, it was the real thing. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Bree. That was Nadia Boltzweber on her podcast, The Confessional. And something else you should know about The Confessional. Our producer, Paul Caroli, worked with Nadia on that show before coming over to CityCast. I, I was just um, congratulating myself for how much mature I am for agreeing to come on this when you stole my producer. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our wonderful morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye! Excuse me, is this your, your news? Um, can I have some? <laughs>